Welcome to America's Cannabis Conversation at americascannabisconversation.com. And here's your host, Dan Perkins. Hello and welcome to America's Cannabis Conversation Weekend Preview. I'm your host, Dan Perkins. On the program today, we start off with Major Scott Hussing, United States Marine Corps, retired. He has a program called Save the Brave, and he recently rode his motorcycle from San Francisco all the way over to Southern Florida, 3,300 miles. He stopped along the way because he was concerned about veteran suicide. So he was talking to people all along his route about how they can help to try and do something about suicide of veterans that continues to rate almost one a day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. His foundation, Save the Brave, provides social activities and fellowship and community and medical help for hundreds of veterans in his Save the Brave program. Consider going to savethebrave.com and making a contribution. He also wants to spend time trying to get the government to make CBD and cannabis available to veterans to deal with not only suicide, but PTSD. Next up is John Kijia, who is the Chief Knowledge Officer for New Frontier Data. I've spoken to John many times, and he's a wealth of knowledge. And today we're going to talk about how products are changing to meet the ever-changing needs of consumers as this cannabis industry expands and goes in new directions. How What kind of products people are looking for and how they're being constructed and what is the future going to lead to in terms of package products. Next up is Rich Wolkoff, our lifestyle reporter, who's going to talk to DJ Igor Betts and his long-standing Bay of Life radio. Igor says his mission is to bring people together through music. He's got a new drink called Uncle Igor's Mud Water, which is made in Oakland and hand-brewed. It is a cannabis-flavored tea. You want more information about Mr. Betts and his tea product? Go to W420RadioNetwork.com and go to the DJ Igor Betts write-up and you'll see a series of web addresses that you can contact him and follow him. Our last guest today is Charles Butler, who's on a talk show in Chicago called The Reality Check. He's been around for a long time and is a name on the Chicago scene. He's going to talk about the African-American communities and the concern about taking the vaccine in today's pandemic. So let's get this conversation started. I'm Dan Perkins. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the conversation. Joining us today is a retired Marine Corps major who just had an interesting adventure. He rode his motorcycle from San Francisco down to Florida for the purposes of trying to bring awareness to America of the problems of our veterans, especially the problem of suicide. Um, Major, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's good to be here. Yes. uh, The Major and I have a little bit of an experience. Our foundation, Songs and Stories, provides some of our MP3 players for the Major and has been uh, a year or so ago. So uh, it's good to talk to you again. Major, tell us about the organization that you helped set up and what it's doing. Well, aside from many other things, one of the things I'm most proud of is to be the executive director of SaveTheBrave.org. We're a 100% nonprofit that helps combat veterans who are struggling with post-traumatic stress and connect them through outreach programs. And we've been doing this for six years. We've helped thousands of veterans, whether it's through one of our many offshore fishing programs and events like the Ride for the Brave, which 
started last year as basically a mode of transportation. My good friend and Navy vet went to high school with Dave White. He killed himself in Montana, and his mom asked me to come to South Carolina, give the eulogy, and I just decided to hop on my Harley despite COVID, and they asked me to do it again this year, and I, it's turned into this very unifying event, which so many people out on the road, and it's kind of emblematic or symbolic, I suppose, of these massive concrete expanses that connect cities and, and people, and that's what the ride has done. And moreover, it's really just exposed the best of the human condition to me. Uh, so many great Americans out there willing to give of their time and, and money and help this this organization at SaveTheBrave.org do what we do best, and that's connect veterans and, and do it in a safe space where they have opportunities that they never would have had before to really go out and hit the reset button when those levels of stress or anxiety are on the rise. And at the end of it all, our goal is to empower them. And they can say, I can do an event in my town, or I can ride my bike in my state, or I can hold this event and give back. Because for me, the the transition from 24 years in the Marine Corps to civilian life, one of the things that probably is most beneficial to me at the beginning and the end of every day, if I'm not helping other people, I'm really not helping myself. And I think that that is the type of fuel that really keeps me running. And it's also the people that I surround myself with. And those are people that care because I could teach people a lot of things during my time in the Marines or as an author, but I could never figure out how to teach people to care. You have to do that on your own. And that's what has been my experience over Last year's ride and this year I rode from uh, the West Coast all the way to Miami, Florida, 3,161 miles, and it was quite an experience. A lot of heat, a lot of rain, um, sure. but it was well worth it. It was well worth it. Um, speaking with uh, uh, Major um, Scott, he is a retired Marine Corps Major. Major, how do they uh, get in touch and follow your organization? How do our listeners do that? They can go to savethebrave.org to find out more. They can become a donor. They can become a volunteer. If they're a veteran, they can sign up for a, a fishing trip. Uh, we started this thing after one of my squad leaders killed himself, Simon Litke, and I wrote about him in my book, Echo and Ramadi. And the program has gone from doing that one fishing trip to 36 trips this year. So you can see kind of how, how much the – the men and women who've served latch onto this type of experience, and it's it's really beneficial. The best metric of success that we see is through testimonials from those we interact with and, and connect through the programs, and it's uh, really been a, a great experience. The, the ride itself, if you want to see the ride, we captured it all on video and shared it on Instagram at Save the Brave Org on Instagram. There's a ton of pictures, and you can see – the faces of not just the veterans who came out and rode with me, hundreds of them, hundreds of riders picked me up in every city and escorted me all the way across the country. But in addition to that, we had civilians, first responders, all came out to support, and that was the type of love and reception we got, which, it, it, again, it just keeps me going. It really validates that I'm not just out here pedaling around on my Harley. I'm, I'm actually leading 
and I'm making an impact on people that, that gives them some sort of small piece of inspiration that they can do something on their own to, to get out and help. Yeah, I, I can relate to that uh, major with uh, with our foundation songs and stories. Uh, and I have mentioned earlier, we have done some work with you, and we'll we'll want to do that. I'm encouraging all of our listeners to go to the major's website and think about making a nice contribution to try and help our veterans, especially dealing with the issue of suicide. One more time, uh, major, where where do they go? Savethebrave.org. Super. Hello, this is Dan Perkins, and I've got a question for you. If you knew what your customers wanted, would you be more successful? Of course you would, but how can you obtain this valuable information for your success? If you use the Engage portion of the Equio software from New Frontier Data, you won't need to guess what customers want to buy. Guessing can be very challenging and expensive, and more often than not, non-productive. If you want to find out what customers want, then go to NewFrontierData.com and click on the Equio button, and don't forget to ask about the special offer. This is Dan Perkins. You're listening to America's Cannabis Conversation on W420RadioNetwork.com. Welcome back to America's Cannabis Conversation and our Discover, Engage, and Compete in the Cannabis Landscape segment brought to you by New Frontier Data, a global leader in cannabis data. And joining us today to talk about what new products are coming down the pipeline and why is John Kajia, the Chief Knowledge Officer. John, I love that title, the Chief Knowledge He is the guy in charge of all the knowledge in the company, and it's probably <laughs> true. Probably true. John Kajia, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be back, Dan. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about what you're seeing about new products are coming and why. So uh, as you and I have talked about uh, over the past few months, the, the speed of and pace of innovation that's happening in the cannabis product environment is, is just phenomenal. Um, I just did a, a drill down into the, the number of approved infused products in uh, Washington state. And by that, we mean uh, not a smokable flower and not vapes, but these are products, everything from edibles uh, to, to, to um, beverages that have been infused with cannabis uh, uh, compounds. And uh, in 2018, there were 2,200 products that had been approved. In 2021, there were 4,300 distinct products that were now approved uh, on the, the, the infused products that were now approved. So wow. that's four, over 4,000 different types of products that include candy, chocolates, baked goods, beverages, uh, pills. Um, and I think it just shows the, the um, opportunity to integrate um, uh, cannabis into products that you would normally find both in your pharmacy as well as in your grocery store, um, and and that level of innovation uh, uh, is is being driven by technology that has made it possible to create these products in a highly consistent, um, uh, uh, highly effective way, uh, and consumers are responding very very positively to it. So John, um, l let me let me try and 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 suggest what you're saying in a in a slightly different way. Uh, I don't know whether it'll make sense. But it just struck me. If we go back at the history of 
the marijuana business in the United States totally illegal to now up until um, some within the last few months or so, you and I had a conversation about where is flour? Flour used to be in the front of the store. Flour is now in the back of the store. And so the the cult that was around cannabis with the flour and smoking and getting high and doing all those things probably still there. But what's overtaking it rapidly is that people are looking at cannabis in a totally different light, not so much from a recreational standpoint, but what can it do for me medically? How can it help me with pain and 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 anxiety and all those things, which were never on the table when you had potheads? And now, not only it, so, I'm wondering, is the product evolution also a level, an evolution of the culture of the industry? It is, and I think it is an evolution of the culture of the industry in. Uh, let's call it two or three found fundamentally different ways. So one is, you know, the recognition that historically most people used to consume their cannabis by smoking it. Right. But as a growing number of consumers have come to appreciate the medical use of cannabis, um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't want to, to use cannabis medicinally by smoking it. And so that was part of what began to spur this idea of uh, non-combustible, non-smokable product forms. Second is um, the, the um, for for people who, who are looking for more discreet, you know, um, more convenient ways of con- consuming cannabis. Um, you know, smoking inherently tends to be quite intrusive and quite you know, uh, uh, resourceful. So it means you're either rolling a joint or carrying around a pipe or, you know, you're, you're having to, to deal with both accoutrement, you're having to deal with smell. Um, it's, it's really difficult to smoke discreetly. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and so for people who are, whether they have um, uh, families and don't want to be smoking around young children, whether they live in public housing and, and uh, which prohibits smoking in the buildings, whether um, they just don't want to deal with, with all of the cleanup required after you smoke the joint. Um, the, you know, people were interested in and very open to, to new product forms that uh, they could consume uh, that didn't have all of the kind of quote-unquote hassle that comes with, with smoking. And right. it, one of the reasons why it has taken us to, um, a while to, to, for these new products to start to, to gain traction at the rate that they are is a big challenge between smoking and eating an edible, for example, is that it used to be that edibles would take 30, to 30 minutes to two hours before you would feel the effects. Well, if you want to feel the effects immediately, that's a really long time to be waiting uh, between the time you ingest the edible and, and the time you, you, you um, feel its effects. Right. With the way that products are being developed now, with the technologies in both emulsification and, and uh, the way that they're binding these compounds that allow it to, to, for the effects to be felt more quickly, you can, there, there are edible products on the market now where you'll feel the effects in 10 minutes. So people who may have been interested in edibles but didn't want to wait, you know, an hour to feel the effects, suddenly 10 minutes 
becomes a much more attractive proposition, and mm-hmm. that leads them to now start thinking about edibles as as an as an uh, option uh, uh, that can substitute or, or complement uh, their smoking. And so, uh, the the both the quality of edibles and critically this idea of more uh, uh, efficient onset times, I think, have been two of the reasons why. Um, it took the innovation, the science, uh, a while to figure out how to do this consistently. Uh, mm-hmm. But as more companies have cracked that nut, consumers have really started to and embrace these products because they now do provide uh, an experience that really does start to uh, rival the efficiency and effectiveness of smoking. So, John, um, I, I, I feel almost compelled to ask you this question. Um, we had and still have in the United States uh, a smoking industry where tobacco is still being sold to people of proper age. And um, there was a huge, huge settlement for the cost of public health services and everything else that the tobacco industry got into a settlement with the states. At some point in time, Somebody's going to wind up getting cancer from smoking pot, and they're going to start suing the states and and the and the and the companies that are making the product, much like the tobacco companies. But I'm not sure that the industry right now, John, has the deep pockets that the tobacco industry had to, to fight what was going on. So that's a really um, important and, and intriguing question, and it is something that uh, cannabis scientists have been trying to research for at least 40 years, which is why is it that uh, even the most intensive cannabis smokers do not manifest cancer in the same way that that uh, nicotine smokers did, tobacco smokers did? Uh, there's been quite a lot of substantial studies that have been done with, um, you know, it, it, there was one study that was done with Rastafarians in Jamaica where they were looking at, at uh, particularly older Rastafarians who had been smoking for the preceding 50, 60 years and smoking very, very heavily over that period. Uh, but all they were smoking was pure tobacco. And, and you were seeing nowhere close to the analog of, of cancer prevalence that you would see if uh, uh, an adult was smoking cigarettes. So mm-hmm. I think that there is something distinct about uh, cannabis smoke that at least the science to date has shown through a, a number of different studies doesn't stimulate cancer in the same way that, uh, that tobacco did. And so, uh, and I think given the prevalence of cannabis use in the U.S., where you know we we have uh, over 10% of the American population smoking uh, cannabis regularly, um, I, had there been a strong connection between cannabis use and cancer, uh, I think we would have seen that to date. Now that is not to discount that there are still other uh, health effects from smoking. You know the. Um, uh, uh, you, know, you, you do see re- reduced lung capacity and, and degradation uh, of pulmonary performance because of that. Uh, but, but I think the, at least to date, uh, science has not been able to find a stronger correlation, or as far as I've been able to see, a, correla- a, a, a meaningful correlation between uh, pure cannabis smokers and cancer the, the same way that we saw uh, with tobacco smokers and, and cancer. Um, though that just the history of 
tobacco lawsuit and, and the problems of tobacco invest in the country, um, I think it make a strong case for the transition away from combustibles to, to non-combustible products. Do you have anything uh, in the works that might be coming out soon as far as research or, or data? Oh, yes, we do. Um, in fact, we are uh, almost four weeks away from the release of what is going to be our latest update to the global cannabis market. So we're going to be looking at um, how large the global cannabis economy has become, looking at how big the legal market is relative to the illicit one. And I think this is going to be a really important uh, piece of analysis because it puts into context just how big the cannabis economy already is and how much of an opportunity the transition from uh, illicit market to legal, regulated, functional markets, how much opportunity that transition is going to create. Terrific. And that will be out in about four weeks? That's going to be out in about four weeks. But for those who are interested in seeing what we have been producing recently, you can find all of our reports at newfrontierdata.com slash reports. John, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Dan. Thank you. You bet. If you missed any of this terrific report by John Kajia, go to w4radionetwork.com. Look in the archive sign section for an, an interviews with John. There are quite a number of them. And learn about this industry. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dan Perkins. Here's more important information about the Engage section of the amazing software for New Frontier Data called Equio. These are just examples of some of the things that Engage can do for you. You will be able to see and understand consumption preferences at the county, state, and even the zip code level. You'll want to follow product trends filtered by age and gender so you know exactly what to offer and how to market it. How about learning the market density of the location you might be considering to expanding your business? Use the Visit Index score to determine the trends that impact your outreach and messaging. Engage with your customers customer base to expand and repeat your value. You can learn more about product trends filtered by age and gender. This valuable information it helps you to know exactly what to offer and how to market it. Things are changing rapidly and you need the latest information from an independent source to keep yourself informed of the changing markets. For more information on the EQO software package, go to newfrontierdata.com, click on the EQO software, and don't forget to ask about the special offer. This is Dan Perkins. Time now for the lowdown on another high-time experience. Here's 420 Lifestyle Correspondent Rich Walkoff. Well, today we get to know an OG, one OG to another OG. Say hello to DJ Igor Beats from Bay Life Radio, bringing people together through music and a cannabis connoisseur. In fact, so much so, what do you got going on now, brother? Oh, man, I'm just uh, chilling, smoking breakfast, man. How you doing? <laughs> is, is that a blunt? Is that your morning wake up and uh, waking yes, sir. You know, Yes. You know how most people, they get ham and eggs or, you know, butter and toast. You know, I get a hemp wrap and hemp and let's do it. <laughs> okay. Well, you are really into the music scene in Oakland, California and uh, the surrounding Bay Area. Tell me a little bit. You go back a long way doing this. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, you know. I started out DJing house parties and uh, just started networking uh, with the locals. And uh, years later, I, you know, I got a, a handful of artists that I deal with. And uh, here in Oakland, we do uh, open mic shows. We call it the Tiny Stage Concert. And, uh, yes, we just network with all the musicians around the Bay Area and uh, put on our own shows. 
That's sweet. And uh, how many people gather and what are your venues like? What's the scene like? Uh, well, pre-COVID, it was looking good. Pre Pre-COVID, it was looking good. You you had anywhere to 50 to 100 MCs and singers, you know, all networked with their family and guests. So, you know, it made, it made for a good made for a good little venue yeah and then covid came but now we we uh today is the day passes off and california reopens uh we're having this conversation on june 15th 2021 so this is a big day and maybe uh, i think we'll start flowing and growing again right you know for us it's about it's almost two years later you know uh we just opening up, and uh, honestly, a lot of people out here they still a little leery. You know, they don't they don't really know uh, what to believe. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, spaces that are that are for MCs and uh, entertainers have not quite opened back up yet. A few have. Um, you know, everybody kind of playing it slow. Sure, I get it. Now, you you played music with Money B from Digital Underground back in the day. So the, the rap oh, that, that goes deep in your soul, no? Yeah, you know, uh, wow, you brought me back. I used to watch Money B. Me and Money B are a high school mate. And uh, I used to go to Berkeley High. And at Berkeley High at lunchtime, we used to have a supper at uh, this little place at Berkeley High called The Bricks. And Money B was one of the contending rappers that, always had the you know it was like oh man it's money b's turn today everybody broke running to come see and it was these two two favorite rappers it was him money b and another guy named king roski and they would go back and forth back and forth lunch after lunch and uh, that's how i got a chance to get familiar with money now what role did cannabis play in the rap scene for you and your friends at the time Oh, wow. You know, I got to, you know, if you don't mind, I'd like to take it back a little even further than that. You know, uh, when I was a kid, you know, I was I was diagnosed as uh, being hyperactive, you know, and um, my mom used to take me to this doctor over in San Francisco, California in the Presidio. And uh, after, you know, dealing with that doctor, he had prescribed me Ritalin. So for a while, they had me on Ritalin. Um, it calmed me down, but the side effects had me feeling like I was a rock. I wouldn't move all day. And uh, one one summer, I guess I was about 10 years old, one summer, my cousin, he was like, uh, you know, if you hit this, you'll feel better. And I'm telling you, when I tell you, when I hit the marijuana, I felt totally better. Um, I instantly stopped taking my medicine. Uh, for a while, my mom thought I was still on my medicine because I was still getting the same effect, but I wasn't getting the side effects. Nice. You know? So now, fast forward all the way up to the music, because here was the thing. My cousin, he used to do what was called strutting, and that's a form of breakdancing. And uh, I used to try it. And he said, well, if you hit this, you'll get better. You know, that was a con. <laughs> But at the same time, my imagination took off and I did get better. Well, it taps into that side of our brain, mind and spirit that just lights us up literally and figuratively. Now, I'm not saying we right. should all at the age of 10 be, be you know, you know, hitting the weed. But 
I don't know right. if that's the advice, but Ritalin has proven to be uh, more problematic. So it's again, the plants over pills is the mantra that we share with a lot of our conversation. I like that. I like that. You should make that a t-shirt. Plants over pills. <laughs> Jeff Danzer, the 420 chef, Jeff, the 420 chef actually has a plants, not pills t-shirt already. And he's, he's awesome. He's the guy oh. who comes up with these uh, cooking with cannabis things. Now you do it. You, you sample different strains of weed on your Instagram post. So what do you take a gram and go on gram? What's up? <laughs> That's a good one. Well, you know, uh, pretty much every morning it's a different breakfast. <laughs> you know, in fact, this morning, our breakfast is roasted platinum OG. All right. What's that all about? Oh, man, it's a it's a it's a it's a mellow. It's a heavy mellow. You know, uh, it slow you down just enough to get you to start thinking. <laughs> well, that's a good way to put it. It sounds contradictory, but I, I feel you there. So now right, you. Right, right. It looks like you're partial to the blunts. Is that the way you roll, literally? Well, actually, I roll in hip wrap. Uh, I, I, I really don't prefer tobacco. I feel like tobacco is getting in the way of the true of the marijuana. You know, um, so I roll in hip wraps. And oh, that's they look crazy. like blunts. Yeah, they look like blunts, but it's a, it's a, it's a natural hip wrap skin and uh, made from real hemp, no tobacco. So it's almost like, uh, you know, cannabis holding your cannabis. <laughs> I like it. It's true. I mean, it is not almost like it is because hemp is in the family. But I, I'm really glad to hear that you're doing that because there's a lot of toxic uh, chemicals in the cigar leaf that is used for a lot yeah. of people. smoke blunts, they don't realize the cannabis may be clean, but the, the wrapper isn't. And that could be very dangerous. Exactly. And very addicting, too, because, you know, I know I, I tend to see people like when they start out smoking, they'll smoke because they got it. Then after a while, you see them rolling smaller, but they still got the same size tobacco. I'm like, you like the tobacco. Yeah. You know? Which so, which is yeah. not a cool thing. Now, there, I understand you got a cool new product you're, you're going to bust out. By the way, we're talking to DJ Igor Beats from Bay Life Radio here in America's Cannabis Conversation. And what is Mudwater, this hand-brewed, cannabis-infused herbal tea you're busting out? Yes, yes, it's wonderful, man, it's wonderful. Uh, some say it's heavy, some say it's light. I'm, I'm looking for somebody to help me uh, gauge it, basically. Um, the Mudwater is hand-brewed cannabis tea. Um, I started out making a little coffee pot just for myself. Uh, everybody said, me, you should make that a tea. You should make that a tea. And finally, a year later, we just started bottling it. So what? how do you create? Do you steep it? What do you do to create this? And what do you use? Uh, if I tell you that, I have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Proprietary secrets. Okay, all good. But so what do you like? Do you like sativa? How strong is it? Can you gauge it? What do you well, do? I, I, tell, I tell you what, me, myself, personally, I could drink a couple of them and keep going. Uh, a friend of mine told me she likes to drink them when she goes to bed because uh, it makes it makes for a nice, smooth sleep. 
um, it's not. I don't think it's as strong as smoking a, a, a joint. Personally, well, but I, yeah. I have a high tolerance. Yeah, well, if you're if you're a regular enjoyer of the herb, that would be the case. But every, you know, different strokes for different folks. So somebody might want it to wind down after work or go to bed, or you know, maybe you yeah. can you. Uh, not wake and bake, but wake and drink, I guess, would be. <laughs> you could do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so and you could actually, because uh, usually in the morning, what I do is I pour one in a cup and put it in the microwave and put a teaspoon of honey in it, and there you go. There you go. That's how you roll. Now, can you talk a little bit more about, we, we know about the barbershop being sort of the, uh, epicenter of the urban community where things happen and people share stories and you know make connections but you got something called the coffee shop which is a little different but you got to fill us in to the c-o-u-g-h-y-s-h-o-p-p-e what the heck is a coffee shop oh well that, that's that's a, a friend of mine's business the coffee shop and uh Basically, when you go in there, guaranteed to <laughs> you're going to feel the atmosphere, you know, and uh, it's a nice place to network, you know, you get, get your burn on and uh, meet a few new people. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of great people such as yourself that come by. All right. Very cool. So you call Oakland home, but you're a San Francisco native. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, I was I was uh, telling my friend because he said, uh, you know, uh, you always claim Oakland, but you know, you was born at Children's Hospital in Frisco, and uh, you know, I like to put it like I was I was born in San Francisco. Uh, I was kind of learned learned the life and and seasoned in Vallejo, California. Uh, I went to school in Berkeley, and then I was put to the test in Oakland. There you go. Hopefully you passed. Talk to me a little bit about Bay Life Radio. <laughs> You've been doing this for over 20 years. What, what's that all about? Oh, man. Bay Life Radio is a company. Um, we and my friend Brian Thomas did. We hooked together. He has a graphic company, and I had a music company at the time. So I was going to him to get all my charges done, and he was coming to me to put all his artists in my show. We linked our companies together, bottom of the basement, and what you need graphics, and made Bay Life Radio. And uh, we just started networking and just putting together small what to do's to uh, more or less like a, a artist survival kit. How do you get around? Cause see, like when we started back in the uh, back in the days, <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to age myself. Well, it doesn't matter because in a week I'll be fifty two. But uh, about twenty years ago. What we did was uh, we just started putting together, like, what to do packages, how to get shows, how to advertise yourself. And what we used to do in Oakland is we used to hit all of the hair salons and barbershops with our flyers and with our CDs and let them know we're going to have a show. And then we would rent out a hall and give a show. Cool. So now that things are reopening, hopefully, it, you know, jumpstart. The music scene again, the live music scene. We all yes. miss, we all miss the connection. Yes, yes. I, I've been uh, I've been waiting for this. I got butterflies in my stomach. My first return show is July 11th in San Francisco, California. I get to perform at the DNA Lounge, 
And uh, it's sort of like the, uh, a, a cannabis event because being in which everybody there is going to be smoking. <laughs> well, you know, when you feel it and you let it flow, that's how you roll. That's how you go. And it's great catching up with your DJ Igor Beats. You're a happening dude, Bay Life Radio, here on the W420 Radio Network. If you want to check out more or hear it again, see it again, W420RadioNetwork.com archive. We'll link your contact info there. DJ, great catching up with you, Igor. And early happy birthday, 52. You never look so young, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate it, man. I thank you for your time. Awesome, awesome. And uh, wake and bake, and it's all good in the hood. <laughs> I'm Rich Walkup. Yep. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dan Perkins with more information on the new Frontier Data software called Equio. Let me ask you this question. Would the success of your business be impacted if you knew the frequency of visits customers spent in competitor stores? Of course it would. The question is, where do you go to get this information? This is just one of the many pieces of information that you can get through the Equio software available at newfrontierdata.com. Remember to click on the Equio button and don't forget to ask for the special offer. I'm Dan Perkins. Welcome back to the conversation. Joining us today is Charles Butler. He was a guest on a previous show, and we enjoyed him so much. Uh, he's a good friend of mine and a fellow broadcaster. Uh, I love being on the other side of this microphone. That I get to do the interviewing as opposed to Charles doing the interview. So, Charles, welcome back to the conversation. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. So one of the things we talked about in the last conversation was the propensity of black people to want to gather. And you were telling me the story about your, some of your clients who went back to visit children and grandchildren. And it, it concerns you that they were not taking the, the pandemic serious enough. And we've been saying all along with, with the CV acute and CV defense, if you're going to go, if you're going to drive, you're going to fly a long distance put a bottle of each in your suitcase and take it with you to protect yourself. Because if you don't, you might get sick. So tell us, tell the audience, Charles, the story about the people you heard who went home for the holidays. Well, yeah, a number of my clients went to visit their grandchildren, their children who were out of state. Uh, some left Chicago, went as far as Texas and down to Florida, uh, which, uh, you know, some considerable distances and think about the, the people you come in contact with, you know, the gas stations, the pumps, the restrooms, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there to pick up the virus. Uh, mm -hmm. And it seemed like these people were like, hey, you know, as normal, you know, we just jumped in the car and, you know, and boogied. And uh, that concerned me because I was thinking I'm not going to any friend's house for, for Christmas. I'm not doing any Christmas parties, any Christmas dinners. I'm not doing any of that. Mm -hmm. Was it hard? I mean, you're, you're seen to be a very social man. Was it hard to walk away from all those traditions you've had in your life for years? No, no, uh, -uh not at all. But you know, dad, I have, I have a very unique background. As my, one of my psychiatrists pointed out, I was one of those people who, who could isolate for weeks at a time waiting on the right person to show up. So, mm -hmm. um, no, I'm not, uh, that, that, that kind of thing didn't bother me. And, and the bottom line is, um, you have to do what, 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 you know, I, I'm a very disciplined person. Uh, as a lot of guys uh, who've been in the military like me, you know, we're disciplined. I'm an athlete. I'm disciplined. You know, there are mm -hmm. things that you don't do. 
and uh, there are rules that you don't break, uh, and uh, there are codes that you don't break. And those, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, I, I wear a mask, and I wear a mask not only because I believe, but out of respect for others. You know, um, you know, my beliefs are my beliefs, but but your, my beliefs shouldn't Im- impact you. That's how I feel. You know, Did, were you surprised that your clients who decided to go and uh, ex- potentially expose themselves and turn around exposing other people? Were you surprised at that? No. Why not? Uh, because, you know, in, in, in my experience, when people decide that they're going to do something and that it's okay, uh, in the culture we have today, it's okay. I mean, people, and I didn't argue, I didn't pass judgment. I just said, I'm not going to meet them. You know, it's like, uh, you know, the insurance company, one insurance company I was dealing with had a policy that anyone over 75, you had to meet with them in person and conduct an in-person interview and conduct an in-person interview with a uh, interviewing service that we have, you know, mm-hmm. i.e. you on the phone, the clients on the phone in person. Mm-hmm. And I said, no way. No way. So they said, well, we'll see if we can make an exception. Well, I knew they weren't going to make an exception, so I, I canceled the, the application and, uh, and signed the, the client with someone who took an, uh, an electronic uh, application. I mean, you know, people are out here not taking things seriously, and they, and they don't care who they're exposed. So this, this insurance company would expose me and my client because of their, you know, arbitrary rules, and I decided that, there's more than one insurance company. But, you know, Dan, that's the way I felt in life about a number of things. When I was treated poorly in one store, say it was a clothing store or a department store uh, or a grocery store, I'd, I'd, I'd put my things, I'd leave the things there, and I'd leave and I'd go to another grocery store, another car dealer, where I was mm-hmm. treated uh, uh, like, uh, like fairly and, 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 and like a customer. Uh, my, my thing is I don't spend money with people who don't treat me fairly. I learned that at a very early age growing up in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So we've got about a minute left in this segment, and I've, I've got a subject I want to raise, but I'm going to raise till we get into the next segment. So, well, you know, you, uh, when you do your hosting with me, you forget to tell people that when you're on my show, that you take over as the host and question me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's my personality, huh, Charles? I don't do it all. I love do it all. I don't do it all the time, but I, we, I do. We've been doing it for seven years, man. It works. It works. It works absolutely. So, um, have you made any besides not, besides wearing masks and uh, not going to parties and things like that? What other changes have you made in your life because of COVID? I take zinc and I take hydrochloroquine. And you're going to take you're going to take uh, CV CV. I'm going to take CV Select. I am. CV Defense and CV Acute. Yeah, okay. I am going to take them, yes. No question. Yes. Okay. So um, we're uh, out of time in this segment, and we've been talking with Mr. Charles Butler from the Mr. Charles Butler Reality Check Radio Show on Red State Radio. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages for continuation of the conversation with Mr. Butler. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We've been talking to Charles Butler of Charles Butler Reality Check on Red State Radio, a friend of mine who is a radio host, and we've worked together for about seven years. Charles, I want to ask you uh, what I think is a very important question because you brought it up in our last segment, and that's the decisions that your clients made to go visit family and friends during the holidays. 
Mm-hmm. What about the, the, the idea that we as individuals have responsibilities and that we have to be aware of the things that we do and how they might affect other people? Mm-hmm. What do you think about do we do we have a response to those people who left uh, Chicago and went to Texas and Florida to visit fans and friendly fan, family and friends? Do they have mm-hmm. a responsibility to t- be concerned about taking care of those people or not? Yes, they have a responsibility. I feel they have. I felt and feel that they have a responsibility uh, to uh, not spread uh, the disease or or take the disease into their. Uh, to their uh, their relatives, but that was a chance that uh, that they took because they wanted to be together, and uh, you know I, I I guess I just don't see uh, missing a Christmas or a day or I, I just don't see it as as the end all and be on and be all because there's always the day after Christmas right yeah you, know, you have Christmas and that but see you know when you when you live a life where where every day is Christmas or every day is Valentine. And every day you tell your significant other that you love them. Uh, then these, I don't need anybody to remind me about that or to tell me when that's special. Mm-hmm. I don't need I don't need Sunday to come around and tell me that I need to worship the Lord or I need to pray. Right, but sometimes. So yeah, we have. Re- Go ahead, please. So yes, we have a responsibility uh, not only to to others but to ourselves. And uh, when you when you live a life that. Uh, when you live a life that is, I, I won't, I won't say righteous, but if you live a life that is, uh, where you want to be a productive citizen, you want to be a contributing citizen, uh, you don't want to be a burden to society. I think those things are very important. Yes, you, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to uh, be civil in society. You know, you can't go around being uh, a bully or whatever. You know, there, there are consequences for your actions. I remember Barack Obama said there that, that, that elections have consequences, and I say that they also have uh, – there are also consequences for your actions. So when you, when you think about being uh, responsible for your actions, to, to be concerned about other people – uh, and I, we talked about this when you were on before, but I, I want to bring it back up in the three minutes we got left. We, mm-hmm. we had this conversation about the reluctance of the minorities, including the black community, to take the shots. Mm-hmm. So do they have a responsibility to their fellow man to take the shots or, or not? I think uh, they have a responsibility to themselves first. And the fact that this that this virus, this uh, vaccination, from what I understand, hasn't been tested on animals. The fact that people are getting uh, uh, what is it, droopy face and and having adverse reactions. I was I was at uh, UFC Hospital, University of Chicago Hospital, uh, uh, having a test ran, routine test ran Christmas Eve, and they told me that a number of the staff had gotten uh, vaccinations and that a number of them had, uh, uh, adverse reactions to, or some type of reaction to the vaccination. So I think there's room for concern. Uh, I think, uh, personally, I'm going to take, uh, the CV product, uh, and continue my regiment with the, you know, the, the zinc and selenium and, and hydrochloroquine. Uh, and you know, it's just, uh, so to answer your question, you have a responsibility to yourself first to be safe. 
And no, okay. I don't trust. I don't trust the FDA. No, I don't trust CDC. No, I don't trust the uh, NIH. Don't trust them. Well, Charles, you, you know, know, I dealt I, with Dad. Dad, I, I dealt with yes. minority health disparity back in the '90s with J.C. Watts. Yeah. And, and and we did a great job with Newt Gingrich in addressing minority health disparity. After J.C. Watts left Congress, that whole minority health disparity effort had, uh, fell into a, a, a void. So yeah. here we are uh, 12 years after J.C. left office, and we're still dealing with minority health disparity. But we could yeah. send a man to Mars or whatever. It's ridiculous. Right. You know, I look at I look at what what's going on and, and this idea of social responsibility for our actions. Yet mm-hmm. you point right. out so many so many things that we don't know yet about the virus. But I, I think there's a huge frustration, Charles, in the America, because there are people who say, I'm not convinced I want to take the virus. And I'm not sure that gloves and, and, and masks and sanitizer is going to do enough because they don't do anything for your immune system to be able to fight. And that the vaccine is basically to try and support the immune system. So do the CV selected, CV acute and CV, uh, the other CV product defense, uh, help build the immune system. So, um, that's a way to take care of yourself. Uh, I, I, um, I'm really concerned about what's going on now. I mean, we're talking 4,000, 4,300 people a day are dying, uh, over a hundred, to 125,000 a day are being infected, or at least recognized. We don't know how many. How many are actually getting out there? And uh, and the delivery system of the vaccines and everything else is just crazy. Uh, so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of concern in the community, whether it's black or brown or red or whatever or white. There's right. a lot of concern. In the American community, yeah. I mean, look at the yep. rollout, Dan. I mean, the rollout has been a, a, has been a bust by, by anybody's uh, review. The, the rollout right. of the vaccine has been a bust. Joe Biden even said, well, I'm, I'm disappointed. I mean, Joe, there's nothing that you can do that Donald Trump hasn't done, and now the blame falls on Joe Biden. It's going to be so yeah. great. Right. <laughs> well, Charles, um, we're uh, out of time. It goes very quickly when uh-huh. you and I have a chance to talk. So. Thank you for uh, joining us today. And how can people get a hold of you, Charles? Uh, they can they can go to redstatetalkradio.com, 2 uh, p.m. Eastern from Monday to Friday. You, I'm on uh, YouTube, Facebook, and uh, Twitter under Charles Butler. Thanks. Thank you for coming joining us today, sir. It's always a pleasure to be with you. It was fun to be on the other side of the microphone. If you missed any of this terrific interview with my friend Charles Butler, you can go to w420radionetwork.com and download download this show and other shows that Charles has been on and learn about how this black man thinks about a lot of things. He's a smart guy. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the conversation today. And we're dealing with uh, the, the Cannabis National Industry Association And we have with us today in the conversation, Andrew Klein, who is the chairman of the public policy committee of the association. And I thought it was important because they've been talking about the vape issue and other things. And so we have Andrew Klein here, who is the chairman of that committee to talk to us about at this moment, uh, more information about the public policy and what its goals and objectives are. So Andrew, welcome to the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us about the Cannabis National Industry Association. 
Sure. So the National Cannabis Industry Association is the largest national trade association for the cannabis industry. We've got about uh, 2,000 members, both uh, license holders and um, ancillary businesses. And our organization uh, does three things uh, around three three pillars, basically. Um, community, education, and advocacy. Uh, on the community side, we produce four big trade shows every year. Uh, we do um, uh, some regional events called caucuses where 100 or so people come and, and hear from either myself or our head of government relations. Um, and we try to just, you know, create opportunities for people to, to network. Um, on the education side, we do substantive uh, policy discussions at our trade shows, and then we do webinars um, and other educational uh, initiatives. And then on the advocacy side, we've got three lobbyists in DC who focus exclusively on lobbying Congress uh, for bills, you know, like the, the SAFE Act and states. Um, and then I lead the policy council uh, the Policy Council, and you can you can find out more information on our website if you click on uh, policy and then uh, policy and advocacy and then Policy Council at the top. Um, you'll see bios and pictures of everyone who is involved. We have about 30 members, um, scientists, doctors, lawyers, cannabis entrepreneurs, uh, others who have equities in the cannabis space, and basically we... Um, are uh, doing a number of things, but primarily we are drafting uh, white papers on issues that are of import to the industry and then building advocacy campaigns around those white papers. So by way of example, about two weeks ago, we released a 45-page paper, um, a plan on how we think cannabis should be regulated at the federal level once descheduling happens. It's a pretty comprehensive plan, regulatory plan. No one else has ever uh, put anything else like it. Um, and uh, next week, we're, we're launching that uh, paper in D.C. at an event on November 12th uh, in front of um, members of Congress and congressional staffers and members of the cannabis community in D.C. Um, to sort of uh, you know, summarize our plan and, and take questions about it. Um, the, the policy council meets, uh, once a month, uh, by phone and then four times a year in person. Um, so we're talking, I'm sorry, we're talking with Andrew Klein from the Cannabis National Industry Association and he's head of the policy council. Uh, you, you put a lot of things on the table there about all the things you're doing. I'm, I'm fascinated as, as your organization looks forward, um, we, we seem to have hit a, um, a rough patch in the industry in the sense that the vaping issue, which we'll talk about in another interview later, uh, but the vape issue, the, uh, the pricing of cannabis, the confusion in the states of, re of regulating and who's going to regulate. And, you know, one of the things that I've been reading uh, is that the while you and your organization are working to to deal with the let's call them the honest people we have a a group of people who are not honest and are probably not members of your organization and uh excuse me um it appears that the illegal cannabis sales are greater than the legal sales uh and it really hard is it hard to do with deal with policy 
when uh, the legal people don't have to follow the rules or even the suggestions of your organization? Yeah, I mean, look, the the illicit market is a huge problem, uh, particularly in California. But, you know, we're seeing cases uh, all around the country. So just a couple of weeks ago, a woman and her two sons were arrested in Wisconsin for uh, filling uh, 33,000 uh, vape carts in their garage. Um, and, you know, we're, we're seeing the unregulated, untested, uh, illegal market, um, you know, infiltrate um, what is a, a very regulated, safe environment in 33 states. And it's, it's really troubling because, um, you know, if you're not testing products, um, to know whether there are heavy metals or pesticides uh, in the products or mold. Um, it's, it's impossible um, to protect the public health. And so we need to do a better job to displace the illicit market. Um, I'm actually working uh, with a commissioner right now on the Cannabis Control Commission in Massachusetts on trying to bring law enforcement together with uh, the private sector to try to tackle the illicit market and try to displace it. Um, you know, the other problem with the illicit market is that um, they're not paying taxes. And so their products are cheaper. And so people, you know, are attracted to lesser expensive products. But uh, those products, you know, could be quite unsafe, uh, as we're seeing with the vape crisis. Um, you know, people adding uh vitamin E acetate or, or um, coconut oil or other thinners to, to cannabis oil uh, without knowing what happens to those uh, molecules when they're exposed to high heat and you're ingesting them in your lungs. Uh, right. You've only got two lungs and uh, right. you can't replace them. So, right. so it, it, what do you think as, as a, a person in charge of, of, of looking at policy, what do you think is the, the largest challenge, biggest challenge, most important challenge, whatever you want to say it, for you and your industry facing it today? Yeah, that is a tough question because there are a lot of them. So, <laughs> I didn't mean to you put know, you look, on the spot. I mean, I, um, no, no, no. Look, I mean, it, you know, it, everything starts with the fact that cannabis is a Schedule One drug. Um, it is a completely unsustainable uh, situation that the federal government put us in in 1970 when Richard Nixon created these schedules and, and classified cannabis as the most dangerous, most addictive substance, um, you know, along the lines of methamphetamines and heroin. I mean, you know, it is it is crazy on one hand that the federal government owns a federal patent uh, for the medicinal use of cannabis. But on the other hand, they say there's no medicinal value. Um, and, and until we until we can get beyond that Schedule One status, it makes everything else really hard. So, if we were to able to, to deschedule, we would fix a lot of the problems like 280E, like social equity, like you know uh, the myriad problems that are facing the industry, uh, the lack of research. Um, if we were to just deschedule, so so my view is that is the biggest obstacle facing the industry right now is the is a classification of Schedule One. Super. We've been speaking with Andrew Klein, who was the chairman of public policy uh, committee at the Cannabis National Industry, Industry Association. Andrew, thank you for joining us. And once again, how do people get in touch with your site? 
www.thecannabisindustry.org. Thank you for joining us on the conversation. You're listening to America's Cannabis Conversation on W420RadioNetwork.com.